All right, so we got 40 done. 40 out of the we way. We've done 40 movies. Yeah. Yes. Sort of, well, we've done 120 movies. Almost. Three About times. Betw- yeah, betwixt yeah, the yes. three of us, yes. Betwixt. Course. Yes. Yeah. B- betwixt and between. <laughs> Whilst we discussed. And everywhere else. <laughs> it's wild. While we discussed. Discussed I'm, I'm, being the operate word. We were sort of talking uh, before we started rolling about the, the timeline uh, on these episodes. And I'm, I'm sort of wondering if we're going to get more verbose or less verbose as we continue. Movie good, go. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, we may reach that point. Well, it's also been a couple of weeks since we sat down to record, which can also affect our... Because we miss behavior. each other. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we've we got a lot of thoughts to... Unleash on the world for some reason. Yeah, that's true. You like the chicory coffee? This episode of the Good Trash Genrecast brought to you by the Cafe de Monde. Yeah, baby. Uh, um, I love me some good chicory can coffee. Can I say, they sell this coffee. Uh, it's, a, I think, a pound can, 15 ounces, mm-hmm. uh, for the can of coffee for seven bucks. That's wow. a good deal for coffee. Mm-hmm. So we bought two cans. I got the French roast and the chicory blend. In this economy? In this economy is what I said. <laughs> I said that. When I saw the line of people, I'm like, they could be charging twice that. And they're not. <laughs> yeah. Easily. So. Thank you, Cafe Dumont, for fueling our, our mad ravings. I also got a, uh, a, a Cafe Dumont koozie that looks like a uh, box of uh, beignet mix. Cool. Mm. So. Cool. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honor Cast, where we usually do an analysis of a movie. However, we are in the midst, whilst uh, betwixt and between, a long series in which we are going, th- we've all constructed our top 100 films of all time. And so, yeah, Arthur has a list, Dustin has a list, and Dalton has a list. I am still Dustin. I am still Arthur. I remain Dalton. And we're going to walk through the list. Uh, right now, we're starting at number 60, and we'll be rolling all the way down to number 41. All right, welcome to part three. Let's uh, get this pony on the road. Let's do that. Uh, we'll do the same uh, rotation we've been doing clockwise. Starting I, with you? I, starting with me. I was like, do yeah. I start with you or do I start with me? It's been so long. We start with me. Number 60 for me is Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia. Okay. Mm. I like that movie a lot. I It is very much uh, a riff on Robert Altman's Shortcuts, uh, which is a really excellent film as well. And I've only seen that movie, the one. They're both very long. They're both intertwined tales in Los Angeles. Uh, they both have interesting breakout performances from various actors. But uh, for whatever reason, Magnolia resonates with me quite a bit more about randomness and about uh, just the sort of absurdity of life. And then, of course, frogs. If you've seen the movie, you know what I mean. Uh, there are frogs. And it is just one of those random things that pulls a lot of people together. And uh, so I love it. Uh, Tom um, Cruise gives one of the most incredible, bewildering performances of his career philip seymour hoffman too really yeah, throwing heat in that movie yeah he really is as 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 the orderly there and so you have to say that about every paul thomas anderson performance like the, the, like you just have to yeah. about any movie he's in he doesn't miss yeah, yeah phil it, phil just hits yeah he's always throwing heat yeah so uh anyway uh love magnolia a lot and but it's not my favorite movie of all time but it ranks in at number 60 for me what goes to 60 for you arthur uh my number 60 is uh pretty recent a few years ago now but uh it's jordan peele's get out mm, um i i just what a coming out party <laughs> of a film yeah dude right there uh-huh. um just for both jordan peele and daniel kaluuya um who had already had some notoriety with black mirror uh, on the british scene but on american shores and just i think national phenomenon uh really opened up a lot of doors for him uh, a lot of new opportunities there uh and it just felt like such a groundbreaking film 
in so many ways and, and for it to be so kind of universally, critically, commercially acclaimed, uh, I think just is a testament to how smart and just how funny it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's so interesting to go back and watch that movie. And we're on, you know, at by the time you're hearing this, it either has or will be coming out. Nope. Uh, we'll be hitting soon. Um, so it's kind of fun to think back on that and to think about, about us and, and all these kind of career movements we've seen in the, the, just in such a short span of time, the impact Jordan Pills had as far as filmmaking. I mean, not even talking Five about years. his sketch and yeah. background there, just as a filmmaker, uh, just absolutely knocked it out of the park with get out. Uh, so that's why it's coming in at number 60 for me. It appears that Dalton's face suggests we might discuss it again in the future. In fact, post haste, we'll be discussing it post haste. What is number 60 for you, Dalton? Number 60 for me is John Carpenter's they live. Uh, no, nice. they, that, yeah, they live. Uh, yeah. I like this movie a lot. This was a, a, a late comer to the list, but somebody brought it up in conversation. I was like, Oh my God, I haven't even thought about placing they live on here. And, uh. It quickly ran up to the top of my list, or to the middle of my list. I like this movie a lot. Uh, Surely at some point, the Reagan will wash out of American culture. But until it does, we have this movie to look back on and uh, uh, remember a way of being, uh, or at the very least, a way of reacting to our surroundings. Uh, A movie that uh, says a lot of things, and it can be misappropriated in a lot of ways, but I think at its heart it is about resisting against an unfair system uh and the only force of goodness or decency in that movie is the black church which is pretty funny uh you know pretty true to life as far as uh, organizing goes um again I th- an interesting movie it has truly one of the best fight scenes of all time it's great between yeah. Roddy yeah. Roddy Piper and Keith David just an all-timer Very you're good. gonna wear these sunglasses or I'm gonna make you eat that trash can uh, an interesting metaphor about uh, enlightenment and trying to uh, give it to another person <laughs> <laughs> the, the difficulty of of, of trying to uh, come to realizations and I teach that world. clip of the film every time I teach uh, visual rhetoric oh do you interesting. yeah about ideology yeah that's cool that's great yeah that makes sense yeah via Zizek yeah, Obvi. Yeah, of course. So well, and that, and and to bring it to Zizek, uh, the, the final goal and they live. The thing that we learn is we must seize the culture immediately and post haste. Uh, although it does certainly appear that winning culture wars doesn't really do much for anybody. Uh, checks out. Uh, but you know, it's a nice idea, Dustin. Let's move along. What's your number 59? Uh, 59 for me. I was like, I was doing math upwards. I was like, no, 61 is after 60. <laughs> no, you're right. This is how top 10s work, this is isn't how it? countdowns go. <laughs> we count down to 59, uh, which uh, you mentioned earlier, Michael Mann's Thief. I have the remake uh, to 2011's with Nicholas Winding Refn directed uh, Drive, yeah. uh, starring uh, the great Ryan Gosling, Carey Mulligan. Uh, great performances by everyone involved. Oscar, Oscar Isaacs is incredible. Um, Walt from Breaking Bad. Oh, um, my God. Brian Cranston. There it there is. We go. My brain was We just, all kind of farted out for a second. Vapor locked there for a moment. <laughs> vapor lock, which is a good uh, automotive metaphor. Uh, the, not... Yeah, the, the great Albert Brooks. Albert um, Brooks. In that, yeah. that such a, evil it's, villain it's so turn. Good. It's so good. It's one of the best things. And, of course, that teal, pink, and amber palette that is used throughout the yep. film is just absolutely incredible. A soundtrack for the ages. Yep. Uh, it's just a movie that I come back to over and over yeah. and over again. Uh, and... Uh, 
Ryan Gosling's nearly silent performance uh, as this very, very quiet, but also very, very disturbed man. I just love the movie, and uh, it's it's a winner for my 15-year-old. Therefore, yeah. it must be a winner. <laughs> An impeccable vibes movie. It, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's 59. It'll pass by again. Yeah, I, I figured it might. So 59 for you, Arthur. What comes next? Uh, an- another great just... Uh coming out party and it's ladybird um yeah from uh greta gerwig and yeah. uh probably the coming of age film of a long time i mean it, it's so well crafted it's so uh smart it's so sharp um so much heart um sarah ronan uh one of my favorites and just Absolutely knocking it out of the park as Ladybird. I, I reference it all the time because uh, anytime we have an awkward conversation in the car or somebody says something weird, uh, I always say Ladybird out <laughs> and pretend to open the door and jump out of the car. Um, it's, so I it just is kind of settled into my heart uh, as, as one of the great coming of age stories and, and setting it in the early aughts. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and it never feels pastiche or weird like it's you know it, it doesn't play with it it just is it's time setting is it's uh, a, a matter of fact yeah yeah and and, and everything about that and uh laurie metcalf metcalf uh as as lady bird's mom is knockout for i should have uh that that her not getting the win that year uh mm. was really annoying uh allison janney's great um but the 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 more nuanced down-to-earth performance of laurie metcalf was just heart-wrenching and the family dynamic and everything about that i love and so ladybird is my number 59 we'll talk about it in a couple episodes yeah so 59 for you dalton 59 for me is jordan peele's get out post haste no uh, left no doubt god what an unsettling film arthur called it funny and it is extremely funny but it is also unsettling uh to you know be a white movie goer and be uh uh, have the white gaze explained to you so uh, effectively. You, you know, I would have voted for Barack <laughs> Obama for a third term. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what a, what, a, what a film. I mean, what a breakout. Yeah, I mean, it just truly a uh, lights-out first film, and it's what an exciting career. Us also narrowly uh, missed out of the top 100, another film that I think is just great. Um, one of my favorite, I mean, both times I saw it in theaters, I think, uh, it has that great ending where... Kaluuya's gotten to the road Mm -hmm. and then the sirens hit and just everybody in the theater is so deflated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's such a great moment. Which is why... so much to our moment in time but also the power of the film. Well, it speaks to the the brilliance of letting it Go ahead and be a happy ending. Yeah, because it it, it know it's a smart movie that knows the audience well enough to know it's going to deflate them just to have that show up. You don't need to yep. commit to the down ending. Yeah, you can allude to the down ending, and it's definitely going to hit <laughs> for a moment. Yeah, absolutely, Arthur. Yeah, what a what a monumental triumph of American cinema. Mm-hmm. Get out, baby. Very good, very good. All right, coming in at number 58 for me, uh, I guess we've got a neon pairing with Drive on my last pick. Uh, number 58 for me is Harmony Corinne's Spring Breakers. <laughs> um, I got shorts every color. Every color. <laughs> Scarface on repeat. Scarface on repeat. 
It's it sucks that James Franco is bad because yeah, not that performance nice is great. It's an incredible performance. I mean, Oscar worthy performance, honestly. Sure. I, I mean, it's it's an incredible performance, and I like how it is this controversial feminist empowering kind of film, but as mainstream as possible. And that seems to be Corinne's uh, sort of object with making the film. That it's as much an art film as it is as much a summer blockbuster kind of film, which is probably why I never really found an audience. Um, and, I mean it, that. Mixed audience, mixed yeah. audience. I think it's like sixty-seven percent or whatever on the Tamometer or whatever. But it, it really never quite made its bones as a movie. But I, I really think it's a an absolute just bravura tour de force. You know, sure it's got lots of cheesecake and all of that going on yeah. with it, but. Uh, it's doing something interesting with that as it makes use of it, and so and Selena Gomez is pretty incredible in the film too. Yeah, so I really enjoy her performance. I as think Vanessa well. Hudgens is great in it too. Yeah, yeah. I think all the performances. Yeah, are yeah they're solid. all they're all yeah. very yeah. very solid, and I do find it to be an interesting uh, interplay of a dialogue of a conversation. What Spring Break is like versus what say Church Camp is like, and uh, see our re- our past episode uh, about that for further discussion. But Spring Breakers comes in at uh, fifty eight for me. What's fifty eight for you, Arthur? Uh, my number fifty. Is the last picture show oh, um, a big okay. blind spot for me? Giving in here uh, to me, it is uh, the perfect portrait of small town anxiety and can I get out or will I fade away here as time passes by, just like it's passed this town by. Um, just you know, coming from that kind of background of a small town, uh, it, it super resonates with me. Uh, just some great uh, performances. Uh, from uh, everybody involved, including uh, Jeff Bridges and um, is it uh, Sybil Shepherd, uh, Cloris Leachman, Ben Johnson, uh, just a, a great cast. Obviously, Peter Bogdanovich as well, uh, directing there. Um, I think one of the great uh, new Hollywood films uh, that just. I think is 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 a great uh, time capsule uh, in a lot of ways, but also speaks to a very particular, I think, feeling and anxiety. And so uh, it's the last picture show for me at number 58. 58 for you, Dalton. 58 for me is a film about city living, sort of kind of a, on a flip side to Arthur's pick. It is uh, Carlos Lopez Estrada's Blind Spotting, mm-hmm. uh, written by and starring to V. Diggs and Rafael Cassell. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, another film about uh, race in America and so much more friendship. Uh, about watching your hometown change and, and morph around you into something that you have a hard time recognizing, which uh, as an Oklahoma City area native is something that I, I live with. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm Leo in The Departed. I got two accents or whatever. You know, I had a city family and suburbs family. Mm-hmm. So I've always been around, but uh, I've kind of watched OKC's gentrification from afar in a way that's been very interesting to watch unfold. Mm-hmm. And so watching Blind Spotting, this love letter to San Francisco, I saw so much about my own city watching that movie. Uh, and so much about myself and Raphael Cassell's character, that moment where uh, there, there's the flashback of uh, this fight that got uh, uh, V. Dick's character uh, in prison. Uh, and he's, you know, beating this dude down and saying, I hate my dad in the in the flashback. It's it's a really funny moment, sort of a, a drunk history cinema moment. Uh, but again, that just speaks to this film sort of really clever visual style. It's it's great sense of humor and, and it's it's lyricism as far as its dialogue goes. Like it, it fully becomes sort of a musical at moments in terms of the, the dialogue becoming bars. It's really sort of a great choices that get made throughout that film. I, th- I just think it's great. Blind spotting. Very cool. Very cool. Moving on to number 57, uh, 2001, a space odyssey directed by Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. 
another uh, one that'll come up again. It's yeah, yeah an incredible film. I, I like it's not my favorite Kubrick, but it is a uh, one of, and it's an important movie for a lot of reasons. Yes, it's glacially paced. Yes, it is you know crazy slow, but it's also just absolutely an achievement for special effects in uh, 1968 and uh, massively influential on science fiction overall the genre and the beginning of our. Uh, I, I would say there's other instances of this before this, but the beginning, uh, mainstream beginning of our real anxiety about artificial intelligence. Yeah. And, and dare I say it, another vibes movie. Very much a vibes movie. Yeah. Now you'll you'll note that there's a number of vibes movies on my list. I think that's going to be a common through light on all of our lists. Actually, <laughs> that, that is one thing about uh, our, our overlaps and tastes is we do like it when a movie is just sort of hanging out yeah, there. <laughs> yeah, it's like a tone poem cinema. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're into that. And uh, 2001 uh, is an excellent tone poem of cinema. So moving on to your 57, Arthur, what is it? Uh, my number 57 is a vibe movie, and that vibe is not putting baby in a corner. Uh, it is Dirty Dancing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, baby. Um, <laughs> oh, hell yeah, great pick, dude. Unfortunately, we could be talking about uh, Dirty Dancing uh, and, and all it has to say about a lot of things. Yeah, but, uh, pretty uh, on the of the moment pick, Arthur. I know, uh, completely Jeez. unintentional. But uh, man, what a movie! Uh, because of that, because of that conversation it has mm. uh, about abortion and uh, those issues, I, I think it's you know when we talked about it for the show, it really hit me, and I think about it a lot. I think about this movie and what it would took to get it made, and there you can watch. Uh, uh, the movies that made us did an episode on this and is very good, very informative about the kind of background and the battle to get this made. Obviously, that soundtrack uh, is great. Uh, two um, performers who did not get along but had unmatched chemistry in Jennifer Grey and, and Patrick yeah. Swayze. Uh, just two people you want to see smooch. Yeah, uh, the, the 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 training montage. The the river sequence, uh, everything. I mean, just I, I don't know that I've seen a movie with two people have better chemistry than, than they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, out of sight is close with uh, with J Lo and, uh, and and George, uh, but Swayze and Gray, man, what a pair! Arthur, that's a movie that could have made my top one hundred. Didn't even I didn't even think about out of sight. It. Out of sight. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Talk about a a, a missed entry. A, yeah. Damn. Too too late. But uh, if, yeah, for me, Dirty Dancing just it just works on a number of levels. I think it's got a lot to say, uh, and I think it's very timely still. And, and that with the uh, just the ultimate power of Swayze and Gray is just makes it a it can't miss. And I, so I was Dirty at a, Dancing. I was at a wedding last night. And you know what we, the band played? I had the time of my life. Oh, I bet. of course they did. Of course, did anybody yeah. attempt to lift though? No, no. no but it was well, like please don't their their go out song yeah. before they decided to do an encore. Yeah. yeah, you do not want to bust out a knee at your wedding. Well, Dalton, what's your number fifty seven? My number fifty seven is a film that I think we'll talk about again uh, because on your list, Arthur, if, if I had to guess, and it is uh, Peter Weir's The Truman Show. Uh, yeah, I, what a film! Uh, sort of predicted uh, social media uh, without even meaning to, um, and that that's. Uh, something we've talked about a lot with these movies of the late nineties, whether it's starship troopers or this, these sort of movies that really had their finger on the pulse and kind of predicted the decade to come. Uh, and it just really had a sort of profound emotional point to make about a time that hadn't even been seen yet. And I, I think the Truman show really does thanks largely due to Jim Carrey's really kind of dialed in as close to an everyman performance as he could give performance like he really is sort of giving you 
uh, regular guy. But and, also somehow still very Jim Carrey. So Jim Carrey, still so funny, still so charismatic, mm-hmm. but, but still just uh, this sort of, where is it, where did all the time go on we um, that he brings to that performance and and who's been driving my life me or yeah. is there is there some some force beyond me that is is making choices for me and I think that's something that we all yeah. have to reckon with in our own lives the yeah. the element of choice in our lives and how much of an element of that is there really even there and I can ask so many questions yeah. uh, about uh, the human condition and again predict so many things about the years to come it, it just really is a sort of a brain bomb of a movie. I mean, it, it, there is a medical condition uh, created for the Truman show because it pr- resonates so profoundly with some people that they, they experience it in a, you know, a psychotic state sort of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what, a, what a profound film. It's hard for something to kind of lodge its way into the collective consciousness like that. And yet the Truman show has had that ability and, uh, it, it, you know, manages to be this heavy and still be a crowd pleaser. Go out on kind of a happy note, on a life is for living note. Mm-hmm. Uh, really is a, a crowd pleasing American movie. And, and as a guy, I said, I think Peter Weir brings something to it, though, that has this melancholy, that has this this sort of questioning and this, this, uh, this ennui or whatever. It's, uh, yeah, it's a powerful movie, I think. Yeah, very good movie. Very, very good movie. All right, moving on to number 56. Yeah. Yes, sir. Okay, it's like my line was not quite lined. Uh, number 56 for me is Eight and a Half by Federico Fellini from 1963. Uh, incredible little... I'll get to ...surrealist it. comedy. Uh, thank you, Arthur. He's giving me a, a, a ruler over here. When he to, took it away. He was just taunting yeah, me. He I wasn't going to really you're, give you're, it to you're, you. You're a tease is what you are. <laughs> Look at me. Getting off. I'm, I'm being withheld. <laughs> yeah, that's what I figure. Uh, but Eight and a Half is an incredible movie about a guy trying to make a movie to sort out his life. It is the almost ninth movie of Federico Fellini, hence the title, Eight and a Half. Uh, I won't say anything more about it. Uh, performances are great. Uh, Marcello Mastriani is uh, Mastriani is an incredible actor uh, and uh, does a great job there. Um, and Claudia Cardinale is uh, probably one of the great sort of screen um, goddesses of Italian cinema. And so it's a good time to be had. I can't recommend Eight and a Half enough. Moving on to your fifty-six, Arthur. What is it? Uh, more numbers. Uh, it is, uh, I think, the second appearance uh, from Hitchcock in this list, and that's the Thirty-Nine Steps. Oh. Uh, when I think about uh, wrong men on the run movies, uh, I, I go to the 39 Steps. Uh, it, it is the uh, proto North by Northwest, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it is just as tight and just as well well made. Um, it's one of those early uh, movies, while Hitch is still in Britain, uh, that really shows uh, what he's capable of and an early sign for, I, I think, what's to come and also develops the strands of what his kind of thematic uh, concerns are. These men on the run, wrongly accused, uh, this guilt that goes along with that, and mistaken identity is something that he is constantly going back to through his career. Uh, and, and so I think The 39 Steps uh, is is one you got to catch, especially if you like Hitchcock and you haven't caught up with a lot of those, those earlier films or the ones that aren't as widely known. Uh, I think it's one to see. And so for me, it's the 39 steps at 56. Dalton, what do you got? At number 56, I have yet another Guillermo del Toro film. It is The Shape of Water, Mm. uh, a film about uh, forbidden love, a film about fascism in America, weirdly, Mm -hmm. uh, a a film about uh, secrets and and trying to live an honest life, Uh, a film that is so beautiful, just a freaking 
dream to look at. I mean, just absolutely yeah. gorgeously designed from top to bottom, an absolute uh, bravura makeup performance from uh, the one and only um, to- uh, Jones, Toby Jones. That's not right. Is it Toby Jones? Okay. Yeah. I keep one Doug Jones. Doug Jones. Doug Jones. Sorry. There we go. I was, that's what I knew. It felt I was wrong. picturing Toby and period gear, and it fit the bill. So. I don't know. Uh, yeah, Rivera cost or uh, makeup performance by Doug uh, Doug Jones, but also um, Sally Jenkins, just uh, or Richard Jenkins and uh, Sally Hawkins, just really phenomenal. Too many, names. too many names. There's a lot of names when you when you're talking about you know 20 movies at a time. It really is hard to keep all the names in order. Uh, anyway. I, I just think it's so great. I, a movie that I saw by myself on its initial release and uh, cried like a little bitty baby uh, in the theater alone because I good. just I, it's a movie about love and I love love and I had to call my then fiance as soon as I got out of the movie because uh, it really does somehow manage to be the uh, lady who has sex with a fishman movie and yet is <laughs> so profound. It's it's the time the Oscars gave a monster movie best picture. Mm-hmm. What an odd best picture winner. Uh, I, I love that for it. It truly kind of makes its reputation all the much, all that much more sweet. Uh, yeah, I love The Shape of Water. I just think it's a great film. And about rot. Ooh, I'm thinking about mm-hmm. Michael Shannon in that film and about sort of the American rot that he represents and the sort of gross way that that's visualized within the movie. Oof. So many good choices. So good, yeah. Love it, love it. All right, number 55 for me is a debatable pick. Uh, Kaeda Cinema named it the best film of the 2010s. Okay. Um, it's 13 mm. hours long because it's made out of 13 episodes. It's uh, Twin Peaks The Return. I see, I see. <laughs> and it did make some sight and sound polls and, and whatnot. I, television, I mean, it does sort of demarcate that sort of weird line between what is uh, the small screen and the silver screen. Uh, yet, I, I do think it is a cohesive whole. They are all directed by David Lynch, and uh, it is the great sort of uh, encapsulation of all the themes of Twin Peaks as a series, including the the first two seasons uh, that aired on ABC and and the film Fire Walk With Me. And to a lesser extent, it's strange connections to Mulholland Drive and to uh, Inland Empire. But uh, that all being said, I love David Lynch, and I love this film's meditation on the use of television violence and the ways in which it depersonalizes and it it wars against that depersonalization. The, the, the whole theory between the first two seasons is that you are going to find out everything about the victim mm. over the course of the entire run of the show. That was the whole point of the show, is that this movie, this the show is about the victim of a crime, not about who did it, solving the crime, moving on, now on to the next one. Rather, it was about the, the impact of the loss of this one person on the many, many lives of others and the quirky characters um, that sort of fill out the... Uh, the community that is Twin Peaks. And so we get to revisit that same idea and come to a conclusion that perhaps we're not ready for it yet, mm. uh, which is, I think, the right conclusion. And so I love the idea of having some bitter and your sweet, your coffee and your cherry pie, and uh, the coming of rock and roll on television and its overall influence on society. It's a brilliant uh, thematic work uh, with a number of layers. I love Twin Peaks Return. I love Twin Peaks in general, but the return makes my list at 55. What comes in at 55 for you, Arthur. Well, we'll put an asterisk next to that one for okay. you, Dustin. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number 55 actually pairs super well with Dalton's uh, 56 uh, because it's also about Stockholm Syndrome and bestiality. It's 1991's <laughs> The Beauty and the Beast. Um, <laughs> 
this uh, hey no right on though yeah. uh this <laughs> disney classic uh i mean and and this could be the the 90s golden age of disney pick for me i mean you could slot in uh, i think lion king and aladdin would both make a short list for me no little mermaid a little mermaid's 89 though isn't yeah, it yeah and it's not a movie I'm, I'm as much into as the others uh because i didn't catch it as young uh mm-hmm. as i did with the others so it's not as uh, ingrained in me but i i think beauty and the beast is, is a, a beautiful movie I think it has some of the best music of that period, uh, both score and musical numbers as well. Just tells old time um, is great. And then Be Our Guest, obviously, uh, Knockout. A, um, a jam. Yeah, just a lot of fun there. Uh, and it's tight, like 70, 80 minutes, which is great. Uh, in, a, in a pre, everything has to be at least an hour and 45 uh, minutes or longer world. Uh, it's nice to get those uh quick hits in uh and so i actually got to revisit this in theater a few years ago with my wife which was a fun uh, experience i think it's beautiful i think it's a blast uh and really kind of the end of an era before uh aladdin and and then the rise of the non-voice actor uh cartoon yeah this sort of the celebrity voice yeah, actor yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which would kind of follow this uh, i mean we get angela lansbury here but she's the biggest name in the movie wasn't sold on her likeness uh mm. so um we would kind of see that changing of the guard uh, after this so beauty and the beast for me um is, is really an epic uh of disney animation it's a great film uh, nominated for best picture and so love it a lot that's my number uh 55 What's your 55, Dalton? My number 55 is Carl Theodore Dreyer's The Passion of Joan of Arc. Yeah, it is. And absolutely. We'll be having that again. Yeah, it will. Haunting. Yeah, I had a feeling. <laughs> I had a feeling that might make all three lists. Yeah, an absolutely haunting film. A film about martyrdom, uh, a film about conviction, uh, a film about belief. God, I wish I believed in anything as much as Mary Fal- uh, Marie Falconetti makes me believe she believes in france mm-hmm. as in her portrayal of joan of arc i just i'm in it dude I'm, I'm right there for every second this this movie that is what nearly 100 years old at this point yeah. are we over yeah nearly nearly 100 years old about something that happened hundreds of years prior to its making and like boom makes its immediacy felt in the here and now it feels so powerful and current and uh, uh a tale about uh this sort of uh, undying hatred that is the patriarchy <laughs> and people's need to tell other people what to believe and what to feel. Uh, it just is such a powerful movie, and I, I love that there's so many different versions of it. I love that there are different scores that you can kind of take in different moods and vibes that this this movie offers, just different ways to consume it, and uh, I, I just think it's so spectacular and uh, is makes a really strong argument for film preservation. And I know my list is very uh, recency-biased, but uh, definitely, this this is a an all time classic that hits home for me, and I, I think is uh, like I said, one that makes the case for film preservation uh, very strongly. Well, I also have a silent film feature for uh, nine, uh, for number fifty four. I've said nineteen fifty four. It's mm-hmm. actually nineteen twenty seven. It is uh, Fritz Long's Metropolis. Oh, nice, good pick. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just an incredible achievement a in silent movie. filmmaking, mm-hmm. and uh, just shows that sort of high period that cinema made itself. Uh, out to be an art form by the end of the silent era. And uh, the real dearth, I mean, honestly, you can look at film from 1927, 1928, even into 29 and 30. Of course, there are some silent features from 30 
and beyond. In fact, there's a 1936 silent film that's going to make my list uh, here in a little while. So it didn't go away entirely with the advent of sound in 28. However, cinema itself, because of the need to record sound, it bound up the camera in a way that's incredibly just... Uh, smothering and so uh what we see here this really active camera and this incredible achievement in terms of using miniatures and background mats and everything else and of course this amazing choreography cost- choreography costume design uh c-3po that you meet for the very first mm-hmm. time in this film it, it's just all of that is really really powerful stuff narratively it's fine i don't care a whole lot for the narrative itself but it's themes are you know naive mainstream yeah you know well-meaning yeah so i mean that's all fine but i I think just visually itself uh, metropolis uh, it's well it's a vibe uh, yeah, <laughs> that might be the thing, one. the thing that we're going to say perhaps over and over but it comes in at 54 for me what comes in at 54 for you arthur uh, my nine, uh, my, I almost said 1954 as well. So see, see? Well, thanks for the hang up. Well, you're welcome. Uh, yeah, you got in my head and I don't like it. <laughs> uh, oh, I, I guess it's appropriate that you're in my head because my next pick is one flew over the cuckoo's nest. <laughs> nice. Um, from Milos Forman from, uh, 1975, uh, starring the great, uh, Jack Nicholson, um, who I, I love dearly. And, uh, this is, uh, one of those, I think cornerstone performances from him uh if you if you like jack you got to see this one i think um the story of rp mcmurphy is he uh arrogantly and brashly shows up at the uh the institute and then uh the tragedy of where his story takes him uh by the end of this uh as he meets his match in nurse ratchet uh and and just the uh the motley crew he falls in with uh including brad duraf christopher lloyd danny devito and others uh it's just yeah, at all man yeah it's a great movie it's a, it's a great cast uh it's a great powerful movie uh i have never read the book so i stay out of that whole thing uh i, I think the movie itself the is book just is very good you get a lot of cheap brahmin's head. I, I get that yeah, yeah. yeah i do i do know that's the big thing uh but i think the movie is just is is, is beautiful I, I think it's a masterwork uh and very powerful um tragic dynamic uh, I like it quite a bit, and it's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest at number 54. Mm, juicy fruit. Very good. All right, what is coming in at 54 for you, Dalton? My number 54 is Ang Lee's Crouching Tiger, mm. Hidden Dragon. It'll come up again. Yeah, hell yeah, baby, it will. <laughs> uh, what a movie. Uh, yeah, I love Letter to Wush Cinema, uh, and for me, a, a film that you know kind of represents uh, my love of martial arts films at large and uh, sort of pays homage to where that comes from. Um, yeah, I love this movie, and I, I think it is just so stunningly made. It sounds incredible, and it's so visually stunning. And I, again, it's got a moment where Michelle Yeoh and Zhang say, the friendship is over, and then have a sword fight. It is, it is a movie that like so clearly illustrates like how fighting can work within movies as a, a means of visual storytelling and visual communication and uh, you know much like dance movies it's about the feelings hitting a pitch where it cannot be resolved by dialogue and and typical blocking it has to go big uh yeah what a film uh just uh, I, I love it it's 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 an absolute spell to fall under i'm a fan it'll come up later uh moving on to number 54 53 53 again i gotta get my lines better here uh number 53 for I think me if you cut them with a card it might help <laughs> 
is Touch of Evil <laughs> uh, from 1958, perhaps the last film noir, uh, yeah. arguably the last film noir. And uh, Orson Welles directs the just an incredible film. Uh, and uh, there is a bravura single take shot of a bomb being placed in a car and driving uh, to the border to finally explode. It's four and a half minutes. It is on the level with that crazy craning tracking shot in Soykuba. It is... Uh, and that's just how the movie opens. Um, also, uh, Orson Welles' ability to make fun of himself. Um, literally, he, he shoots himself in arches to make the screen bulge with his figure. Uh, it's absolutely incredible. Um, Charlton Heston's okay. Um, but anyway, uh, that's all I have to say. He's Mexican because he has a mustache. Ah, the 1950s. <laughs> so there's that, which is probably what prevents the film from ranking a little bit higher. I don't know if we say too much with uh, Watts' doodle and Anaconda. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'll tell you what, there's a great cameo performance from Marlena Dietrich in this movie mm. as well. And so uh, as sort of like the uh, obsession of uh, Orson Welles' character. So anyway, I uh, love Touch of Evil, uh, 1958, probably the last film noir ever, comes in for me at number 53. I need Arthur. To- I need to watch Touch of Evil. It's good. I got to catch up with that. Yeah, one. same. I, I gotta, I gotta get into. I finally Wells. caught up with Double Indemnity like two weeks ago, so I, I, I'll get there. Yeah, we'll talk about Double Indemnity later. We will. We yeah, will indeed. I thought we might. <laughs> Double trouble over here. <laughs> so fifty-three for Arthur. Me, Arthur. <laughs> Hi, that's me. Hi, um, I will die on a hill that this movie uh, is one of the best of the last decade, uh, and, and that is uh, Brigsby Bear. Yeah, um, great film. It is a testament to. Uh, creating art, telling stories with your friends, as well as the therapeutic, cathartic experience of engaging with those stories uh, as this uh, young man has to uh, unpack a lot of trauma and a world he doesn't understand anymore uh, through the one outlet he does know, which is a fictional TV show. Uh, It's fictional on multiple levels. Um, And uh, Kyle Mooney just... Absolutely knocks it out of the park. What a performance, dude! Yeah. From, a, from a guy that is you know largely thought of as a sketch comedian, yeah. uh, and he also co-writes here. Yeah. And we got the production, the producing from the Lonely Island Boys, uh, Sandberg making an appearance here. Um, I think uh, an Oklahoma native working on the screenplay. I, I think believe. So. I think he's yeah, Kyle yeah. Mooney's writing partner. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's criminally underseen. Uh, so much so that I will try to get anybody and everybody to watch it. Um, if it's the last thing I do, I think it's uh, on Hulu right now. I, ha- I have underseen it. Uh, I need to go see it. watch it. You uh, should watch it. You'll love it. I, I I think it is just so heartwarming, so endearing. Uh, equal parts weird and just uh, melt your heart. Yeah, I, I watched it uh, with my wife. She wasn't sure what was happening, and then I think she really fell for it. Uh, by the end. Uh, and that's the same uh, experience you'll have with Kyle Mooney uh, when you watch Review <laughs> Air. So uh, give it a shot. That is my number 53. Uh, Dalton, over to you. Uh, my number 53 is, unsurprisingly, another film about dealing with uh, American fascism, and it is uh, Jeremy Saunier's Green Room. Mm. Uh, another movie that uh, predicted its moment Did like even... too profoundly, too, too well, too quickly. Uh, a movie that uh, reminds us that we are all locked in a room with some very bad people, and huh. uh, we have to figure out how to uh, deal with that. And uh, it's not an easy question to, to answer. Um, I, I just think it's scary as shit, uh, it, and is a, a profound film about survival and endurance and uh, becoming Odin. <laughs> uh, and, As one uh, does, you know, and it's a film about uh, 
authenticity and being true to yourself. It's a film about uh, never saying die, uh, and a film about uh, ranking pop culture and uh, people not giving a shit about your pop culture favorites. Prince. <laughs> At the end. Prince. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love that movie. Uh, I, I don't think there's much more I need to say about it other than, uh, um, well, I guess I this is my Anton Yelkin pick, uh, mm-hmm. one of my favorite actors mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, a gone too soon guy. Yeah. Um, and again, a, a, you know, a masterful turn from Patrick Stewart as just like this terrifying force of, of evil commerce. Uh, yeah, really great movie, really great performances. I mean, I, I, the whole cast is absolutely hitting in that one. Uh, and just looks great. It's got this great kind of very lush horror uh, to it. it. It's it, it's grimy and scary, and yet because of this Pacific Northwest backdrop, there's something kind of very lush about the, right. the proceedings. Uh, yeah, I just it's great. It's it's uh, we talked about it on the show for you know an hour plus you know a couple of years back. I think it's stunning. I yeah. must have spaced on this one because this easily would have made a top 150 if not top 100 for me. So I yeah. I, I, I don't know what I happened there. I don't think there. it came I up with the algorithm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, when yeah. you said, what was it that you just out said? Yeah, out of sight just a little bit ago. Yeah, mm. some some movies just fell through the cracks in making these. Uh, yeah. I'm glad to hear it's right up there for you two, yeah, Arthur. It's, it's so so solid. It is a yeah. great thriller. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, just the absolute best movie violence too. Mm-hmm. Uh, both in terms of like the way it looks, but the way it's deployed. Off-putting. It's yeah. off-putting yep. and yeah. like is designed to make you think about how violence is i love repugnant violence yeah yeah absolutely. Yeah, that's what that is all right coming in at number 52 is another film from the 20s 1929 a franco uh, uh, spanish production from uh, one louis Buñuel, uh, of course and his buddy salvador dali it's un chien andalou uh, which is translated andalusian dog there is no andalusian dog in the film uh there is an eyeball razor blade there is salvador you, dali yeah, you There's know it random association it is uh, it's an it's an incredible film if you're going to be a filmie, you need to watch Unchained and Deluxe. Get to it. I, it, it. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, Lodge Door as well, but Lodge Door is longer. I like Lodge Door better some days, but uh, I think Unchained is just more influential and a movie that's easier to get through because it's only like 15 and a half minutes long or something like that. So no movie in which somebody gets their eye sliced is easy to get through. Well, it's the I first eight seconds and then it's over. So you just look down. start just the movie, go get some popcorn, and, come and then come back. My but cu- the, my but the association with the clouds going across the moon, and then the woman with the hairy armpit that turns into an urchin, and and then and then that's how this movie works. Talk about vibes. It is yeah, yeah, the, yeah. yeah for sure, <laughs> for sure. So that's coming in fifty two for me, fifty two for you, Arthur. Uh, number fifty two for me is a very 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 late in the game audible. Uh, and and that was uh, based out of the conversation Dalton brought up, uh, talking about Bradley Cooper's best performances uh, when he talked about uh, mm. Nightmare, uh, Alley. Nightmare Alley. Uh, so my number fifty two is A Star Is Born. Wow. Um, okay. I uh, no movie has ever hit me in the gut like A Star Is Born has. I, I openly wept after this movie for ten twenty minutes. Wow. And the, we like we were in the parking lot. We couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't drive. Wow. It got me. Um, and knowing more about Cooper's own personal history with addiction as well kind of adds, I think, another layer to his performance as Jackson Maine. Um, the greatest tragedy uh, in Hollywood in the last 50 years is uh, him losing the Oscar to uh, Rami Malek uh, oh. for uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, <laughs> considering he put in some fake teeth. And, and uh, Cooper's out here writing, directing, producing, singing, <laughs> Uh, going to get vocal lessons so he sounds like a young Sam Elliott uh, <laughs> and just absolutely knocks it out of the part as Jackson Maine. I, I think as a, you know, there are several 
feature debuts on my list, and this is another big directorial debut uh, from Cooper, uh, who I, I, I it does have flaws. I'm not, I'm not going to say it doesn't, uh, but I think it's a just an incredible movie. Uh, yeah, there's and, a reason we can't stop making it as a movie going public. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and I think he just brings something really special to it. And Lady Gaga is a knockout, obviously. Um, Sam Elliott's a hoot uh, as the. I wouldn't say hoot, but he's, he's great as as the kind of jealous but super responsible brother who's having to watch out for Jackson, and and so I, I love it. Uh, Greg Grunberg uh, as the limo driver is is a fun little bit as well. Mm-hmm. And, but uh, yeah, it's a stars born. I, I had to get it in here after that kind of came up, and so I uh, I, I I made a move that I can rect- rect- rectify later uh, to put in a stars born at fifty two. What comes at fifty two for you, Dalton? 52 for me is a film about uh, another film about forbidden love, uh, kind of a theme in this segment of the list. Uh, it is Celine Sciamma's uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. There it is. Uh, we'll have just, it again. Yeah, and I, I knew we would. Um, what a what a film! A film about looking and gazing and being looked upon and love and and perception. And oh, ooh, what a sumptuous film! What a sensual film! Other sounding words. <laughs> Uh, I I just love it so much. We talked about it on the show for uh, our, our French uh, you know marathon, and I've, quite a few of those films are making this list. As you'll notice, uh, France knows about making movies. They they know they know they from movies, uh, and uh, I, I just think that this film is absolutely lights out a masterpiece. Oh, there would be a stat. How many of your top one hundred did you watch for the first time for the show? Ooh. Uh, probably f- quite a few of mine. That would be a good I, question. I think more than a couple, that's uh, for sure. A few for me, for sure. It's yeah. interesting. Anyway. Yeah. I'll have to go back through and do some number crunching again. So, all right. Well, thank <laughs> you for that. Coming in now at number 51 for me is a film that is not the film that it was made. It is a junk room found 16 millimeter copy of the film that was later cut up, re-edited, and re-soundtracked. It is uh, Joseph Cornell's Rose Hobart which takes the film east of Borneo, cuts it up into pieces, change it into this kind of Calypso Brazilian soundtrack, and uh, meditates on his obsession with this particular actress, Rose Hobart, who is a star of East of Borneo. I see. And uh, the whole thing's now tinted blue. And, uh, in fact, it is so well known that I went to a film screening with Phil Solomon, uh, the experimental film director who just passed away three or four years ago now, and uh, he showed uh, Psalm 3, one of his short films, and he said, this movie, I think, is Rose Hobart Blue. And it was a thing. And so I I don't know what to say more than that, other than um, blue, black and white flames are incredible. It becomes a weirdly happy, joyous, meditative, and sad thing. It's uh, cut down to about 19 minutes long, um, but Rose Hobart by Joseph Cornell from 1936. I love how many films you have on your list that are like just impossible to find. You literally would have YouTube. To, it's uh, on YouTube right here. YouTube? I, I just pulled it up. Oh, all, nice. all of them are YouTube. Nice. All, all of your... Because uh, they're shorts. So that, they're, the weirdos are almost all YouTube that's shorts. That's so cool. Oh, I love that. So, so yeah, you can watch it right now. I love that. And why haven't I you? I am. It's <laughs> <laughs> right here. That's the soundtrack. I was, see, I was so worried. Some soundtrack. of your kind of more obscure picks were like you had to, you know, be at a class where somebody was screening it. There are some movies that are harder to find that, I, yeah. and I'll, I'll probably try to highlight those as we come gotcha. up. But I haven't had anything that's hard to find so far. That's awesome. So far, so far. Um, so moving on, uh, Arthur, you're doing number fifty-one. What's your fifty-one? Uh, my number fifty-one. Uh, we actually just talked about it on the show, so I don't think I've talked about it too much because. Uh, I, I talked about it quite a bit there and how much I love it. Uh, and it is Bennett Miller's Moneyball. 
Um, it's a movie nice. I love. Uh, it's about baseball, but it's also about the human condition uh, and taking what life gives you and making the most out of it. Or is baseball about the human condition, I ask you? There it is. Truly the great <laughs> philosophical question of our generation, <laughs> of our, our, our American existence. Um, I, I think it's just an, an incredible movie. I, I love it so much. Uh, it's a good Sorkin script uh, directed with finesse by Bennett Miller, who I really admire as well. Uh, Brad Pitt just leading a fun ensemble uh, and telling the story of Billy Bean in the Oakland days and uh, a lot more than that. And uh, Jonah Hill being fun. Uh, and yeah. so they're a great pair. Uh, they have great chemistry, almost as good as uh, Jennifer Grey and uh, <laughs> uh, Swayze. Um, but yeah, uh, if you want to hear me talk about this a lot more, uh, you can go listen to that episode. But I love Moneyball. Uh, and it's uh, rounding out the back half of my top 100. Very good, very good. 51 for you, Dalton. My number 51 is uh, yet another recent pick from the year 2020. It is Janixa Bravo's Zola, the based on a mostly true Twitter story movie. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I just think it is an essential huh. American film. I really do. I, I think it is. Blind spot. Yeah, I think it's incredible. I to see it. It, yeah. it, it. You know, it deals with human trafficking. It deals with... Uh, social media, it deals with uh, friendship and uh, trust. Uh, and, and, you know, the th- the theme iceberg on this one is uh, is mighty big uh, because it, it is, you know, because it is about true life, uh, it feels current and immediate and impactful. And it just is able to address so much of like what, what it means to be alive in this time and place. Um, it's, yeah, it's really great. I just, it's, it's very interesting in how it deals with some, very hard to parse through subject matter, both uh, in terms of, again, the, the human trafficking element, but also uh, sort of the uh, the racial dynamic element that uh, is at play between Taylor Page and Riley Keough's character. Uh, it's, Riley Keough is giving a, a performance, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a razor-thin tightrope she has to walk to make that character both, like, believable and uh, humanizable. And I think she does a great job, and I think Taylor Page's performance as Zola is really just lights out good and it's just got such a great visual style and communicates the feeling of the internet in a really specific way Be, you know because it is an, an internet story it tries to take that element and bring it into the the sort of the visual palette of the film and sort of the tone and speed and pace of the film and uh, uh there's another film on my list that i think does a really good job of making a movie that feels like the internet and this is the first of of those picks so i i think it's just really really spectacular Number 51. Dustin, we are, we are at 50. the halfway point. We're at number 50. Wow. So the right in the center of your list is going to be really kind of, it's going to speak to who you are as a person, I think, right? Probably, Probably. not. Probably. I don't know that I mine does. I think so. I think mine do. Yeah. I mean, I think it does. Yeah. Um, if you sandwich it between the movies, it's sandwiched between. <laughs> uh, for number 50 for me is Tobe Hooper's, Toby Hooper's Poltergeist from 1982. Interesting. Wow. I love Poltergeist. Wow. The Amblin universe. It's an incredible movie. Okay. Um, you know, you... You moved the headstones, but you didn't move the bodies, man. Uh, the haunted suburban life of Reagan-era United States. Sure. Uh, that is, it, it, it just it is a film full of visual iconography that changed the face of not just horror filmmaking, but filmmaking in general. It is the uh, the scary end of the Amblin universe. Uh, Steven Spielberg was very involved, and we won't debate right now how involved he was in the process. But uh, Poltergeist is a movie I return to return to and return to i think it's an incredible movie and it's always a good time so for 50 for me is poltergeist what comes in at 50 for you arthur 
it's uh, Steven Soderbergh. It's Ocean's Eleven. Nice. Uh, okay. I, I think it's the the best heist movie. Maybe that's fair. Um, at least in top five, uh, if not the best. I, I think it is endlessly entertaining, endlessly charming. Uh, a, a killer's row of an ensemble: George, Brad, Matt, Don. Uh, it's it's great. Uh, what's his name? Uh, he uh, did the he's uh, in Friends, and he, uh, he he played the uh, the detective guy in the seventies. Uh, what's his name? Why can't I think of his name? Which Columbo? No, not that guy. Peter Falk. Uh, Raymond yeah. Chandler. Uh, he did. Uh, oh, oh, Elliot Gould. Elliot Gould. Oh yeah, Gould. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, forgot he's in that movie. Elliot I did Gould. too. Yeah, yeah. He's great in Notions Eleven. Yeah. I totally forgot he's, he's in a, there. He's a hoot. Uh, Andy Garcia. Yeah, great villain. Julie Roberts. Yes, what please. Cast. Yes, please. Uh, it's it's incredible. Uh, it's it's a big budget heist film shot like a mid nineties indie film. Um, Soderbergh's calling card. Uh, yeah. His experimental nature at play, even in the biggest commercial film of his career at that time, probably. Uh, it's I love it so much. Uh, I, I love that at no moment in that film do I feel like there's any danger that this thing is going to go sideways. <laughs> and it, it's so fascinating to me that a movie is able to do that. I have never had a doubt that Danny Ocean and his team are going to pull off that heist. <laughs> uh, and, and I think in a lot of other movies that lack of stakes would really harm it but for some reason the, the charm uh the the pure charisma of oceans 11 makes it work uh it's endlessly watchable i love it and that's my number 50 have any of you seen the rat pack version with no. sinatra and dean martin and no. sammy davis okay i haven't either i was curious all yeah. right moving on uh what is your number 50 dalton my number 50 is the already mentioned by arthur i think uh planet of the apes yes. from 1968 the movie that was must have been so impactful to see in theaters that they made a whole madman episode about <laughs> seeing it in theaters uh, oh really yeah yeah there's an episode about That's where awesome. don takes bobby to see it and they get that. done he's like can we can we just stay and watch it again <laughs> That's what Don says? Uh, no, Bobby. Don, oh, but Don's like immediately <laughs> into yes, it. Yeah, yes. Don's like, hell yeah, hell yeah. Okay, I cool. Yeah, it. I think it's it's just I'm like... I'm only three se- seasons into Mad Men, so... Oh, uh, yeah. congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, uh, did you steal it or did you... Uh, no, it's on the- Amazon or on free to be the Amazon's Tubi TV. Oh, oh yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And I think it's on the, IMDb TV, too. Well, that is that, now... That's what free V is now. Uh, they poorly changed their name. Wow, bad to name. Free v? To free V. Yeah. Wow, terrible it's, name. It's bad branding. <laughs> Speaking of Mad Men, bad branding. Yeah. When you have as much money as Amazon, it That's doesn't matter. That's a deep irony is to have Mad Men on a poorly branded <laughs> streaming service. See, I know it's on AMC+. Plus. It's one of their big ones is that, that but wow. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I just think Planet of the Apes is an incredible it's science great. fiction film. Uh, again, another film about the human condition, uh, kind of a, a recurrent theme on all of our lists is we're trying to look for movies that are really about humanity and what does it all mean? And all good science fiction is about what does it all mean and what will we do to each other and what can we do to each other and how are we treating the other beings that populate this planet and what do we deserve for the way that we treat the other beings that populate this planet? Um, yeah, it's a great movie. And a great supporting role to Charlton Heston's beard. Yeah, absolutely. So, well done, well done. Take your dirty paws off me, Dustin, and tell me <laughs> your number 49. Number 49 for me is Jonathan Demme's Silence of the Lambs. We'll talk about it again. Yeah, I love that movie. It's a great movie. Uh, we mentioned The Passion of Joan of Arc earlier. Uh, the close-up usage in this film was very much inspired by that film. And it is all about looking and desiring and being looked at and looking 
looking at that which one desires. Uh, and cinema is exactly that experience. Uh, it, obligatory, Jonathan Demme did the trans community bad, and he felt so bad about it, he made Philadelphia. Right, and then the trans community took it back, and I like that as well. Yeah. Uh, there's a really great episode of uh, Blank Check uh, with, um, oh my god, I can't think of her name, Vanderwolf. Um, anyway, talking about sort of trans representation within... Uh, this movie and uh, anyway it's it's a great episode of Blank Check and a really kind of great profound discussion about this issue yeah it was initially sort of again reacted at uh, with that sort of negativity but there has been uh, recently some um, sort of a re- so it's sort of mixed too I mean there's yeah, still it's, a, it's, it's all over the place it's all yeah. critical but you know the critical can be good yeah absolutely yeah. and so but I think it's an interesting soiree into the conversation yeah, if yeah. nothing else uh, because he's not a transsexual. Uh, yeah. The movie goes out of its way to say that. It does. So there but is that. It is unfortunate the impact it had on the culture. Yeah, it is uh, also bad. Culture yeah. is weird that way. But uh, yeah, man, uh, Jodie Foster. I, Jodie Foster. Dude, Jodie Foster. Just Tony. Jody... What? Tony. Tony. Yeah, Tony. Yeah, Tony is incredible as well. I mean, he's on the screen for what? What? Fifteen minutes and gets yeah. the best supporting actor. Yeah, that's incredible. And uh, what's his doodle? Plays Buffalo. Uh. Yeah, you had to say that. I know. It, um, I can't think of his damn name. Yeah, I can't. He's either. so good. Yeah, he's he's. <laughs> yeah, monks, monks, boss, <laughs> monks, boss, uh, <laughs> for sure. Uh, but anyway, that is coming in at forty nine for me. What comes in at forty nine for you, Arthur? It's Ted Levine. Um, Ted Levine. Ted Levine. Oh, thank you, thank you, Arthur. Uh, yeah. My uh, forty nine is fucking Bruges. Uh, yes. <laughs> Michael Madonna's uh, in Bruges. Top one twenty five for me. Uh, yeah, just I a, like that movie a lot. Great. Wait, no, that made my list, didn't it? Not yet. Not now, yet. Now it's top 125. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it was it was in there for a while. Yeah. I mean, just uh, an incredible uh, dark comedy uh, about uh, a hitman who messed up yeah. uh, and the, the purgatory that he now exists in as he awaits judgment uh, from the great Ray Fiennes. Uh, it's it's uh, Gleason uh, and Colin Farrell uh, just having a great time. Uh, it's the, the feature-length debut for McDonough. Um, here before he just kind of goes on to have a, I mean, a trio of solid films. A wild run, yeah. Yeah. Um, Controversial run. Yeah. Uh, I think by the end of it, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the playwright turned filmmaker does some very good stuff. Uh, him and his uh, brother both do a lot of meditating on violence and the impact of violence and tying that to. Uh, I think theological themes, uh, particularly Catholic themes, uh, as well, uh, and just this uh, this holding pattern that that Farrell has to ex- exist in as he waits in Bruges to to see what will be become of him. Uh, I think it's just a a great movie. It's a great comedy. It's a great action thriller. It, it, it's it does a, so many things yeah, so well. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's a great Colin Farrell. Uh, it really kind yeah. of, I think, allowed him to go through a rebirth in his career because he had kind of got to a point where he was, I think, kind of typecast as a very certain type of performer. As hot guy. Yeah. A little bit. And usually kind of the edgy, cool guy. And he's um, drinking a lot, too, yeah. kind of leading up to that, yeah. you know, in the Miami Vice days. Yeah. Uh, and so I think this kind of gave him a reset in his career. And from here, he's flourished in, in, in ways I don't think people would have anticipated mm-hmm. 20 years ago with yeah. Colin Farrell. Uh, so I think for that, it, it's vastly important. Uh, I love it a lot. It's in Bruges. Number 49 for you, Dalton. My number 49 is, I don't know, maybe, well, We'll see how the rest of my list bears out, but I think maybe my favorite film about the uh, 
sort of corrupting influence of money and the sort of the disaster that is American capitalism. It is Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Blood. Yes. I'm a damn oil man, Daniel. I'm a damn oil man. Uh, I just, what a performance, dude. Mm-hmm. I, this is a movie that when I first saw it, like I just, I couldn't quite get my head around it. The sort of anti-Western, the sort of, uh, you know, this, this early 20th century but so early in the 20th century, it still feels like the 19th century period piece. It's got such a specific tone and and, and such a specific way of telling its story that, uh, you know, when it, on its first release, when I saw it, I was uh, much more struck with that year's, uh, you know, companion film. I think I think of these as companion films, this and um, No Country for Old Men. I just sort of think of them as yes. tied films because they came out in the same year and they sort of really competed hard against each other for, for Oscar gold that year. And, um, you know, at the time I, I remember really resonating with no country for old men more, but the older I get, the, the more I just think that, uh, this is, uh, such a, a monumental film. Definitely my, well, not my favorite PTA, but I think the best PTA, the most epic feeling, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson film in, in many ways. And I, again, I just, uh, I think it is, uh, a really, really profound film and a, a very, uh, absurdly well acted one. Uh, sometimes acting is talking loud. <laughs> sometimes I drink your milkshake. Yeah, sometimes yelling at it. Sometimes yelling at your scene partner is exactly what needs to happen. <laughs> it's <is> perfect. <laughs> also, uh, Sinclair Lewis's oil upon which yeah. his base is quite good. Upton Sinclair. Upton. What I say? Sinclair Lewis. Oh yeah, said. Upton Sinclair. Sorry. Uh, but yes, Daniel Day Lewis. Ah, uh, there we go. His a yeah. God, what a performance! Uh, I, I like that movie a lot. Uh, as one, I uh, Matt, are we going to talk about it again on either nope. of your lists? Wow. Interesting. I like it, but no. Yeah. All right. Well, there, there you have it. This will be the soul, the soul time it comes up. So, uh, I, you know, go watch it if you haven't seen it. Please. Yes, you should watch it. Number 48 for me is a Japanese animated film from 1997. It is Princess Mononoke. Yeah. Incredible movie. movie a great bangs. English screenplay written by Neil Gaiman. And uh, Billy Bob Thornton has a voice acting appearance in the film. Uh, I, can, I can look at the rest of the uh, voice crews. So there are always names. The that U.S. We know. dub is really solid. I it, is, it, yeah, is it is really pretty solid. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a great environment environmental film that is not moralizing in any kind of way mm. uh, that somehow we the human beings and the nature gods have got to work something out that is the movie yeah and they're not good they're not bad they are just they just are everyone is kind of neutral in a way it's so interesting it's it, the ambiguity so true complexity Miyazaki, yeah, yeah well we won't talk about um, uh, mononoke again but we'll talk miyazaki again good Good, good, good. But uh, for me, coming in at 48 is uh, Princess Mononoke. What comes at 48 for you, Arthur? Uh, f- for me, it is, uh, could kind of be a blanket entry for Billy Wilder, uh, but it is Sunset Boulevard uh, mm. for me. Um, watching Double Indemnity recently, I-, I think had I seen that one before Sunset, it, it could have easily taken the place here. Uh, it could also be Ace in the Hole. It could also be The Apartment. Uh, it could also be, um, oh my God, um, Lemon and... Uh, something like it hot. Yeah, something like it hot. Yeah. Um, you got to have a Wilder pick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, got, uh, I got one. Yeah, Billy Wilder. Uh, kinda, I, I love him. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a master of the dialogue. Uh, just aces with that. Sunset Boulevard uh, presenting this very meta narrative uh, 60, 70 years before that was the thing to do. Yeah. A, a noir about writing noirs. Sort yeah. Of. And about making movies and yeah. how time passes so quickly from the uh, you know f- f- fame is fleeting and that's a big part of this as well um but just yeah uh, great movie um that i admire so much um 
two, I think I, what did I just type in? Um, two great performances there uh, from uh, Glory, uh, Norman Desmond, uh, Gloria Swanson, yeah. uh, and then William Holden as uh, her uh, live-in. Yeah, kept buddy. man. Her kept man, yeah. Uh, kept man. And then the surreal image of a butler with a monkey. I saw uh, a photo of uh, Glory Swanson at the uh, Skirvin Hotel last night, this oh, wedding really? that I was at. Mm. Yeah, there's a picture of her, uh, uh, you know, from the 40s or early 50s. Well, and Buster Keaton, there. too, in that movie, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, wow. I forgot about well, that. Well, I mean, there's a, just a run of cameos from silent film era. I mean, Eric von Stronheim is there. Mm. Uh, what's, I mean, Cecil B. DeMille's. Uh, DeMille's in it. it, it yeah, as I mean, himself, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I mean, it's just kind of filled with those those cameos. So I mean, it really does have this very postmodern feel uh, in 1950, and so I think that's something fascinating about that. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a great movie. So it is Sunset Boulevard uh, for me. Uh, here we are. Very good, very good. What comes in at 48 for you, Dalton? My number 48 is Joel and Ethan Cohen's Fargo. Um, you know what? Sometimes Fargo, eh? Fargo, eh? Uh, all that for a little money. Uh, it's sort of the thesis statement of a lot of their films. Yeah, this the sort of their their crime oeuvre. Um, mm-hmm. they, they've sort of told the same story at different volumes, uh, at different tones. I, I think this is maybe the the best summation of like their deal, both as thriller directors uh, and as comedy directors. I think Fargo is sort of like right in the pocket of doing both of those things incredibly well. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's my, uh, again, we'll see how the rest of my list bears out, but I'm pretty sure this is my highest rated Cohen film. Mm. Um, but I, I just really love this one. I remember seeing it for the first time in high school and it just, it hit like, I was like, Oh, I get it. I, I understand why this has been looming so large over film for, you know, the last 20 now 30 some odd years. Uh, I, I just was, is it, is it 30 yet? Yeah. Close to it. 96. Wow. Uh, yeah, I know. Weird. Right. But uh, just great performances, uh, and again, a, a very interesting and complicated worldview uh, the Coens have, and they do such a good job of writing interesting, flawed characters that feel human, feel real, and even when they're doing despicable things, you kind of see yourselves in them uh, very, very often. Uh, and I, I just love their films, and I, I think this is kind of a, a great thesis statement for their career, despite the fact that it's you know gone on, they've continued to do all kinds of great stuff, and. Uh, hopefully we'll see more from them. Although, uh, you know, the tragedy of Macbeth makes us wonder if we'll see them, uh, working again, uh, solo or together. Uh, hard to say. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, Dustin, we're, we're now moving on to number 47. What is it for you? 47 for me is, uh, my second comic book adaptation. Oh, a history of violence directed by David Cronenberg. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, you'll notice there's a certain type yeah. when it comes to comic book adaptation for me. Uh, but history of violence is a great movie. Vigo's got a great performance. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, man, Maria Bello is incredible. Uh, William Hurt. A great one scene performance. Oh my goodness. This just, is a movie that could have made my, I was just talking about this movie with a friend the other day. And yeah, if, if I'd had a chance to rewatch this, I could have seen this yeah. movie in the top 100. Yeah. Yeah. I just I hadn't so. seen it in so long. That wasn't kind of, yeah. I was kind of on shaky ground. With and, it's, and it's for that second la- uh, second layer or second career tier of Cronenberg as yeah. well. Um, you know what? I talked a bit about Videodrome before, which is a group with like The Fly and some other films mm-hmm. of, of that ilk. And uh, this is the first sort of like really incredible Incredible version of this like Cronenberg 2.0 mm-hmm. that we begin to see the uh, the cans um, Cronenberg 
And uh, yeah, it's a great movie. Uh, really, really enjoy it. Great performances and an interesting meditation on history, starting over, changing your life, and also how the ghosts of the past come against us all. So great movie. I uh, like it a lot. It comes in 47 for me. What's 47 for you, Arthur? Uh, 47 for me uh, is another from the Master of Suspense uh, on this week's list, uh, and that is Rebecca. Um, oh. There are a lot of tales of obsession on my list uh, and, and Rebecca, Rebecca is uh, a big one uh, for that. Um, I, I think uh, this tale at the uh, uh, Mandalay um, and what Hitch is able to do with it, uh, that it has inspired so many other movies I like, uh, Phantom Thread, uh, Crimson Peak, both, I think, owe a great debt to... Uh, this story and uh, the new Mrs. Danvers who never gets a name, who has to always live in the shadow of the titular Rebecca um, while Sir Lawrence Olivier just dehumanizes her and drags her through this tormentful relationship uh, as well as uh, Judith Anderson, uh, the housekeeper who is also kind of putting uh Joan Fontaine's character uh, up against this unenviable image of Rebecca. Uh, it's a fascinating story of obsession uh, both on Olivier's part but also on um, Mrs. Uh, Danvers' part and this kind of ill-spoken relationship between uh, the lady of the house and the housekeeper and what that actually might represent. Uh, it's eerie and spooky and thrilling uh, and I think just a dynamo dynamo movie and then hitch moving across to to make it and uh, the power of uh, MGM uh, at his at his back uh, mm-hmm. it's, his, it's his best picture win um, his only best picture his win. only best picture win Yoinks. so mm. there it is it's Rebecca very good, very good. What comes in at 47 for you, Dalton? Uh, number 47 for me is a film Arthur has already mentioned, and I've already mentioned another film by this filmmaker. It's John McTiernan's Predator. Ah. Sort of the height of Arnie for me. Um, it doesn't get much better than this. Uh, it's true. As far as this sort of uh, 80s machismo action movie, it is sort of the heights of that. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's about those kinds of guys getting murked by a, a something far <laughs> more powerful than uh, and uh, unstoppable and badass than they are. Uh, and that's a cool monster with dreads. Uh, what a creature design. Man, it's uh, great. I, and what a franchise. Just kind of a weird one. Most, yeah. Mostly duds other than this, but just sort of interesting. I'm yeah. excited for Prey coming out later this year. Yeah. I think that's going to be really cool. Uh, I, I just really love this movie. I, I, it's really baked into my DNA at this point. I just, I've seen it so many times. And I it just, Arthur talked about it on when he brought it up on his list. It's got so much sort of interesting subtext as far as male relationships go, both uh, platonic and romantic. And, and just, it's, it's full of like really, um, you know, kind of fun quips, but also like way more pathos than it has any right to have. And it just looks incredible. I mean, the the effects still hold up somehow. Um, you know, these sort of proto digital effects they're using for the the, the shimmer of the the predator. Uh, it just looks so cool. Uh, it, uh, one of my favorite stories I, of, of movie making that I've ever heard is the Predator Blood was made with KY jelly and the inside of glow sticks, <laughs> and I just think that that's fun. That's mm-hmm. just cool. Yeah. I lo- uh, when you learn stuff like that, you're like, man, movies rule. Yeah, it's just hacking together shit and yeah. just like magic tricks. Uh, it's great. Yeah, I, I think it is uh, the, the height of uh, of American action storytelling. 
Predator. Absolutely, absolutely. Very good pick, very good pick. Moving on to number 46 for me, it is uh, the only entry from a, a little movement from the early 2000s onward, the new French Extremity. Oh, yeah. Uh, we've seen a few of those films for the show, but this one we have not. It's Claire Denis' Trouble Every Day, mm-hmm. which is her vampire movie. Mm-hmm. It's a Claire Denis vampire movie. What do you expect? I bet it's sexy and uh, disturbing. It's, yeah, it's all those things. Um, I don't know if I want to say anything more about it than that. Wow. Uh, the, the, the vampire thing makes you want to eat people when you have sex. Yeah, that sounds that, like a Claire Denis vampire movie. And so um, it is all about that, and it is ambiguous and uh, unsettling. It is an incredible uh, little piece you know of cinema. I'll tell you what, sounds like trouble every day if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, Trouble Every Day from Claire Denis comes in at 46 for me. What comes in at 46 for you, Arthur? Uh, number 46 for me may be the final appearance for Fincher. I think. I don't know. Um, it's a movie that's really grown on me quite a bit uh, and went head to head with another movie that's going to come up in a couple of minutes. And that's The Social Network. Interesting. Um, I haven't seen this film since I saw it in theaters. I, I really need to revisit it. Again, stories of obsession yeah. and where they lead us. <laughs> um, the, the, the story of, of Mark Zuckerberg uh, as fictionalized by David Fincher and Eric Sorkin, uh, I, I think, is again another testament to human nature and human desire and chasing this... Uh, elusive American dream and what that means. Talk about trying to humanize a literal, like, blank slate of a person. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> talk about a hard storytelling yeah. task. Uh, and, and Jesse Eisenberg does a very great job of it, um, I think. And so him and the unfortunate... Speaking of... <laughs> never mind. Um, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's, uh, it's a great movie. I, I like it quite a bit. Um uh, great score uh, that the, the the Atticus Ross uh, Trent, Trent Reznor yeah. team up here uh, just knocking that out of the park, uh, and they'll just go on to have a great movie scoring career as well. Um, but uh, I think it's just a powerful movie um, that really just boils down to one person being a petulant child and how that can set off a chain of reaction that can drastically shape the world. Uh, I think there's something very scary and very powerful about that and realizing that. And yeah, so, I wonder when we'll get the sequel about, you know, genocide enabler era Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. yeah it'll <laughs> when be, do we get the, the meta era? Yeah, yeah it'll, we'll find out, yes. Uh, <laughs> when, when all their stories have been told, Aaron Sorkin <laughs> will find his way back to this. Um, so for me, 48, uh, 46 is The Social Network. What comes in at 46 for you, Dalton? Another very recent pick. In fact, it is from this very calendar year. I'm buying into the hype. I'm sorry. It is everything, everywhere, all at once. The other movie that feels like the internet uh, alluded to earlier ah, on my list. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, this 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 family dramedy martial arts extravaganza. Uh, what this? What doesn't this movie do? I ask you. Uh, it's a big warm hug of a movie that also offers you hot dog fingers and Michelle Yeoh beating ass. Uh, it's sometimes I'm against, into all of that. Sometimes against Jamie Lee Curtis. What's cooler than that? I ask you. Uh, it's a movie about love. It's a movie about acceptance. Uh, it, it is about so many things. It's about trying to be alive when life feels like everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, and again, I, I think uh, the Daniels, uh, Quan, and Shiner have presented such a 
timely film and it, the, which you know they've sort of stated in the the press around this movie that that was their goal it, it was to make something that felt like being online circa 2016 or so and uh this this movie definitely finds a way to plug into that energy while also still feeling about fam- f- feeling like it's something a, a, truly about family and, and and love and and you know real human connection uh, i i just think it's it's pedigree is is strong and i i think the years are going to be really kind to its reputation uh i know there's already been some soft backlash against it and uh, look i i know i'm buying into the hype on on rating it so highly so soon but uh, i really do think the world of this movie i saw it twice in theaters in pretty close proximity to each other because i was so excited to watch it a second time and honestly i'm thinking about watching it a third time uh right now i can't wait to see it again. do it i'm probably going to if you're a grown man i think i might yeah, it's everything everywhere. I'll edit it out as we as you do that. I'll yeah. just edit out that the two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dustin, what is your number forty five? Number forty five for me is uh, another Orson Welles uh, interesting involved project. Uh, although the director of the film is Carol Reed, it is uh, at sometimes considered to be the best British film of all time. The the best <laughs> British film of all time, 1949's The Third Man. Uh, okay, Joseph yeah. Cotton, Orson Welles, uh, team back up after Citizen Kane and uh, do an interesting, cynical look at post-war Vienna, at, uh, Cold War era, I guess you would call it Vienna. I love and, their sausages. Uh, <laughs> they have excellent sausages, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, it, it, zither music, and it works. So many Dutch angles, you got to throw a wooden shoe at it. It is an incredible um, film. Uh, but yeah, I, I like it a lot. It's a, worth your watch. Uh, it might possibly be the best film ever to come out of the UK. So there you go. Uh, what comes Bold in at 45? words. <laughs> well, not my words. It's Sight and Sound's words. Uh, what are your words on 45 there, Arthur? Uh, my number 45 is another movie uh, about telling stories. Uh, and fathers and sons, and it's Tim Burton's The Big Fish. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, uh, a good movie, heart wrenching, heartwarming, heartwarming. My, my favorite Burton, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I think for a lot of people, it, it, it does stand that that kind of test of uh, a very mature filmmaker who's telling a very personal story. It feels like uh, telling a story about telling stories and trying to connect with the people who it's hard to connect with and who put on airs and you never get to see them who for you think they really are, but maybe that's who they really are. And, uh, just our Finney, uh, in a great role, great performance. You McGregor talked about him off air, uh, just knocking it out of the park here. Um, Billy Crudup too, really showing up, uh, the forlorn son. Uh, yeah. Uh, who, who is, uh, just, uh, hasn't had a great career, uh, in, in, in a way you'd expect, uh, just kind of always at the the sidelines doing stuff. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff, but he's, he's a good actor. Uh, maybe it's an unfortunate name. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a solid movie. Just some great imagery. Uh, Danny DeVito as some sort of werewolf carnival barker. Uh, the giant man. Uh, and this sundry uh, list of characters who Ewan McGregor's uh, character um, gets to meet and interact with is just fascinating and endlessly entertaining and adorable and sweet and very um just feel goodsy mm-hmm. it is feel end. goodsy and so it is big fish for it, big feels at number 45 it did make me cry when i watched it very good um what is your number 40 
45 there. I've also got some big feels at 45. It's PTA's Punch Drunk Love. Mm-hmm. This was already on your list, right, Arthur? Yeah, well, that's That Mattress Man. It's another movie that's really kind of burned into my mind. I, yeah. I say that's yeah. That Mattress Man a lot. All the time. Uh, yeah. I really do. Um, I think about it all the time. Uh, I think about the pudding cups a lot. I think about the plungers a lot. I just, I think about the little, uh, what is it? It's not like a cord, hard the little cord. piano yeah, thing yeah, he has. The, yeah, whatever that is, that tiny piano, the toy piano. I, I just love this movie. Uh, I, this was a movie that made me understand that I was mentally ill uh, before I knew how to mm. have the language to talk about it. Uh, but as a teen, when I first saw this movie, it just like really landed with me mm-hmm. and like helped me understand myself in a, in a way that I'd, I'd already been struggling to. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why it's my, you know, it's my highest ranking PTA. I, I you know, well, he does different movies, uh, but I think this one is for me the one that feels like the most emotionally true the most grounded in reality, the most grounded in, in regular people. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think it's a, an absolutely lights out uh, Adam Sandler performance. And we've got another pretty phenomenal Adam Sandler performance to come on my list. Uh, but I, I think this one is just, I, I love it. It's I, the water I, boy, isn't it? It's happy. Gilmore. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just, uh, what is his character's name in this movie? I can't even remember. It's, uh, I feel like it's got to be Stanley, but I don't think that's pretty good. It's not important. (laughs) Stanley. I didn't feel like a Stanley. Uh, Uh, It should be something that's Barry Egan. Barry Egan. I knew it had a really good ring to it. Yeah, I knew it was kind of a perfect movie name. Uh, Yeah. And you're not far off with Stanley. It's very uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty close. Yeah. And uh, this this relationship that develops between him and Emily Watson is just like so sweet to watch unfold. His friendship with Louise Guzman is like just so endearing. His uh, antagonistic relationship with Philip Seymour Hoffman is incredible. I I just love (laughs) it. Uh, I've got a love in my life that gives me a power you couldn't understand, baby. Uh, Dustin, what's your number 44? Um, Not a feel-good movie. It is... uh, (laughs) (laughs) It is not... It is full of madness and uh, psychological brokenness. So in that way, it is similar to Punch Truck Love. It oh, is sure. 1997's Lost Highway, directed by David mm. Lynch, starring Bill Pullman, Patricia Arquette, mm-hmm. Balthazar Getty. Uh, Richard Pryor makes his last film appearance in this movie. Oh, I had no uh, idea. Just a little bit. Uh, it's, uh, it's a Mobius strip of a movie. At one point, a guy is having a set of experiences, his brain breaks, and he wakes up as someone else. Mm. Uh, and that is the movie. It is incredibly twisty-turny and uh, really, really satisfying visually and also an incredible soundtrack featuring Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson, Smashing Pumpkins. Good stuff all the way yeah, around. Yeah, it really appeals to you. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I'm, I, I grew up at a time. Yeah, you're a man of an era. I'm a man of a time and place, and I like Lost Highway a lot. And so, and it is uh, perhaps evocative of the psychoanalytic process, at least it is according to Zizek, and he might be right, although I've never undergone, undergone psychoanalysis. So, I recommend Lost Highway a bunch. Moving on to you, Arthur. What your 44 i'm telling you obsession it's going to come up again <laughs> and again and in this time it's in the form of ballet it's darren aronofsky's black swan i thought you were going to say the red shoes um no i have unfortunately i got to that one uh the black swan though uh Good is movie. uh the movie that went head to head with the social network at the oscars in mm. 2011 and uh yeah. I, I thought it was the better movie that year and uh i still do i think uh this this tale of uh, of, of Miley Kunis and uh, Natalie Portman uh, going toe to toe on their toes uh, is uh, just <laughs> a uh, fascinating uh, downward spiral into an artist trying to be uh, the very best. And again, we've already kind of talked about Aronofsky with Mother. 
uh, and then those those stories of obsession and, and just trying to be at the, the 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 very peak, the very pinnacle at all times, and the, the very thin line that has to be walked to be able to grab that marker and maintain that uh, is very um, at times damaging and and tragic to uh, reach. Uh, and that's where we see Black Swan ending. Uh, it's a fascinating story because you don't know what's real, what's not real. Um, and it's at times very eerie and scary and unsettling as things break and nails pop off and mm-hmm. ankles crack and feet are shrouded in very tiny shoes. Uh, it's just very uncomfortable. Um, but Black Swan, I think, is just a, a powerhouse movie. I like it quite a bit. And that's why it's at number 44. Dalton, what do you got? It's another story about obsession, uh, in fact, Arthur. It's uh, the story of Caster Troy and John Archer's obsession with each other. It's John Woo's face-off. <laughs> nice. Uh, I already talked about uh, Predator as the height of American action cinema, and I might have spoken a little bit too soon, because this maximalist <laughs> uh, feast for the eyes does get, beg the question, is this the height of American action cinema? And did it take uh, John Woo to, to bring it to us? Uh, it took a little bit of Hong Kong to, to make American action cinema really sing, I think. And uh, I, I think this film and, and films to come on my list sort of illustrate that point very, very clearly. My son actually has a review. I, ha- I can quote directly his entire review of this film. Okay. It is not good, but it is great. Yeah. That's, that's what he it. said. It's that, not good, it. but it, it is, is great. great. Face off. off. One of Nicolas Cage's finest performances. And one of John Travolta's finest performances. Yeah, it really I mean, is. they really are both fantastic in this movie. Yeah, they yeah. are. It, it, it asks a lot of them. Yes. And it's so silly and so high concept. And it's easy to wave it off. But, it, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of nuance in what both of them are doing. Yeah. Which, again, they didn't have to. They yep. didn't have to go that hard, and they did. Yep. And I respect the yep. hell out of that. Uh, that's my Agreed. number 44. It's a great film. Very good, very good. Coming in at number 43 for me from 1922, another Checks silent out. film feature. It is F.W. Murnau's Nosferatu. Mm. Uh, man, it's the Ur vampire movie. Sure. What do you want from me? Yeah, you're a uh, vampire guy. I like vampires. And it's Dracula without it being Dracula. It's Orlok instead of Dracula. It's ugly Dracula, not sexy Dracula. Yeah. And it is Dracula as the plague. It's fun. I yeah. there's nothing there's nothing more I can say other than that it's incredible German expressionist film, uh, perhaps at its best. The better than Metropolis. The character design so uh, provocative, so uh, iconic that they put it in SpongeBob. <laughs> yeah, um, and so yes, I mentioned Fritz Long's Metropolis a few entries earlier, but this is better expressionism and it's shorter. Hey, there you go. Therefore, that's a win. It ranks higher, and not to be confused with Nosferatu, which is about a vampire that drives very fast. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, there is a type O negative score on this uh, because it is in the public domain. There are various scores that have been applied to yes. it. Yeah. It is a good experience. Nice, I will say that. That's cool. So, moving on to your number forty-three, Arthur. What is it? Uh, we're going to keep the monster love going. Mine is a. Uh, uh, not as heralded uh, monster movie, uh, the comedy uh, uh, by the name of Zombieland. Oh, yeah. um, wow. This is high for you. I love Double Zombieland. Well, I had no uh, idea you liked it bit. so much. Yeah, I, I love this movie. I think it is uh, hilarious. I, I think it moves a, a great clip. I think it has one of the all-time great uh, cameos uh, with Bill Murray uh, and just uh, a, a great moment for Woody Harrelson. And again, not even intentionally, uh, Jesse Eisenberg here kind of getting to do uh, something a bit different than just uh, play blank slate uh, for two hours. Um, and, and and in this world of looking for hope when 
almost certainly hope is lost and finding happiness in the little moments mm. and finding people to love and be loved and the the uh development of this small tiny family uh is i think just great a bit of uh storytelling and cinema uh, i think it's just a lot of fun some great uh zombie sequences uh the great bit at the amusement park there at the end oh yeah and just some great lines and Woody Harrelson's endless trek for Twinkies uh, is always entertaining. Uh, and so zombie land comes in at number 43 for me. Very good. Very good. What comes in at 43 for you, Dalton? It is the already mentioned, already uh, noted for its iconicness. Uh, the Blair Witch Project mm. from 1999. Mm. Uh, one of my very favorite horror films. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think it's so, it's so good. It's getting awfully hard to get lost in America or is it? Uh, haven't we or haven't we been lost the entire time? Uh, yeah, I love this movie. I think it does so much with so little in such a, a compelling way. Uh, the performances were so good that they couldn't ever act ever again because nobody believed that they were acting. Uh, talk about good performances. Uh, just, I, I mean, the, the that monologue to, to camera right down the barrel of the lens. Yep. A, not a pretty cry, and it, it just absolutely works. It's yeah. so good. And like it, that's the thing that this movie's been so parodied and so so become so much a part of the culture that you can kind of forget how powerful it is when mm. you watch this movie and really let it Man, wash it over works. you. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is uncomfortable the whole damn movie, yep. and it really is uh, just a, a feat of horror filmmaking. Very good, very good. Moving on to number forty-two. Now, for me, I've got a lot of pencil scratching at forty-two because, oh. like, there oh. was there was like ties at forty-two for me. This is only a section of my list that has ties um, as of now. But I'm going to end up going with "Put on the Horns of the Dilemma" with 1926's "The General," starring Buster Keaton. Okay, nice. Um, I, I like Steamboat Bill Jr. a lot as well because I love the image of that house falling on top of him, but he lands through the door. Yeah, incredible stunt work there. But I think the stunt work here and the general just humor of the general works for me a bit better trains trains yeah it's it's, yeah. it's a very very funny movie and also blows up an entire train and bridge one of the most expensive shots in hollywood to date at that point so incredible little movie i really thought hard about 1936's modern times directed by charlie chaplin but uh, rather than a chaplin i think i want to keep him so my pick ends up being Placed on the horns of the dilemma. Uh, for number 42 for me is the general from 1926. Moving on, what is number 42 for you, Arthur? Uh, for me, it is the final Hitchcock film for this week. Uh, that is the 1938 uh, mystery, The Lady Vanishes. I love it. Set we'll see it again. Train. Ooh, I like to hear that. Um, it, it is just a great moment of... of Hitch really, I think, working with his uh, expressionist background as he had worked in Germany uh, on film crews there. So he's adapting some of that for his own work. Uh, We again get to kind of see him dealing with this idea of questionable identity. Is this lady, you know, does she exist? Where is she? Where did she go? What happened? Uh, It's kind of a classic uh, urban legend type of story of of the missing person that Mm. I swear they existed, but now they're gone. And no one will believe me. And so, you know, dealing with just listen to the woman. She she knows what she's talking about. Also kind of with the, the backdrop of the war going on there as well. 
kind of ending in this climactic moment of a, of a shootout on the train. Uh, I, I think it's just a, a fun time. I, I think uh, just a really solid work from Hitch. Uh, and again, just kind of laying groundwork for where his career is going to go. Uh, it's, I think got a bit more fun uh, and playfulness to it than maybe the 39 steps. Um, but I think they both kind of work as a double bill. Yes. To this, this period of hitch and kind of understanding that before he transitions to America, there is two best British films for sure. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, 42 for me is the lady vanishes. Very good. What's 42 for you, Dalton. My number 42 is another uh, pretty recent selection uh, from last year. Uh, is the very first Jane Campion film I ever saw, and boy, did it just immediately knock me on my ass. It is The Power of the Dog. It's one of those movies, as soon as I finished it, I was like, well, I know I'm going to be watching this again within the next month, and sure enough, I did. Uh, I just think it's incredible. It's every performance and uh, every character is so layered and nuanced, and just like every bit of dialogue in this m- movie carries so much meaning. Uh, and it just it tells a story about Americana in such an interesting way. Uh, and approaches uh, sort of the old the question of the old west uh, from such a unique point of view, uh, and uh, just I a, a stunning thriller uh, while also being a kind of a sobering and haunting family drama about uh, one man's uh, inability to have any chill whatsoever towards his sister in law, <laughs> uh, and and the the Benedict Cumberbatch performance uh, for my money I, I think uh, the Jesse Plemons performance mm. maybe for my money too I think he's just so tender in this film and uh, uh, Kirsten Dunst is uh, really incredible uh, and so is uh, Cody Smith uh, Turner Smith McPhee Dunham Cody Smith McPhee <laughs> yeah yeah there we go I'm hey. <laughs> just adding more <laughs> hyphens to his name because I couldn't remember uh, yeah I just think it's great uh, it looks like so beautiful and using new zealand as the old west as montana so gives it such a kind of unreal sorry sam elliott i think it's actually a choice that owns i think it's weird it Mm -hmm. makes it makes it feel like an alien planet and truly that we are not that close to the old west in time we are we're very close to it really from a time perspective but in terms of like what we development what development we're miles and miles yep. away it was a different place yes yep. uh entirely we you yeah. you cannot understand what it was like to have lived through that time period because a convenience is just too it's just it's too much a part yep. of our everyday uh but it, it brings you to that world so well and uh puts you in a time and place and and really again and just uh getting to encounter jane campion for the first time uh just on on a whim uh it does kind of uh make a case for netflix uh, a little bit uh, which is unfortunate i hate making a case for them because they're <laughs> the devil uh but uh what a great film that's uh number 42 dustin what's your number 41 number 41 the last film of the three yeah. of us coming right up on uh, number 41 is martin scorsese's goodfellas mm-hmm. love okay. goodfellas i just it's a great movie i, I don't know what else i need to say other than uh love ray, Lo- ray liotta rip uh, rip uh, recently and uh joe pesci is incredible de niro is incredible uh yeah. The movie is absolutely incredible. You must always stir the sauce. Yep. It's sort of one of the mob movies, for sure. Yeah, yeah for sure. So there the you go. mob movie? Mm-hmm. The, I said one of the. Mm-hmm. Not for me. For me, it's not the one. I don't there, have any on my list. There will be more mob movies. Yeah, I thought we maybe. So uh, anyway, that comes in at 41 for me. What comes in at 41 for you, Arthur? Uh, it is the uh, previously mentioned by Dalton last week. Uh, Exorcist. Ah, uh, William Peter Blatty uh, and William Freakin. Yeah, it will come up again. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, uh, it is uh, one I just caught up with uh, just a few years ago, actually. Uh, oh. Finally got up to it and uh, did not disappoint. Uh, I mean, just a, uh, a a true allegory of the struggle of faith and, and what that looks like, I think. And uh, some great performances. I, I think it's just dynamic and powerful, um, scary, eerie, spooky, great child performance. Uh, rotating heads, uh, weird things done with crosses, uh, really crosses lines uh, to great effect um, and uses it, I think, as effectively as it can. I, I think it is uh, just a fascinating watch, uh, kind of a tragic story unfolding uh, amidst this uh, scenario. And so uh, for me, yeah, wrapping this list up, 41, it is The Exorcist. What comes in at 41 for you, Dalton? You, a you much, took a deep breath. Much different pick. Uh, <laughs> it is the absurd comedy delights of Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. It's a fun movie. I just... Look, maybe it's because I really needed a fucking laugh at the start of 2021. Hey, Seagulls, can you hear my prayer? Can you hear my prayer, <laughs> Seagulls? Can you? can you hear my prayer? That was beautiful, Arthur. <laughs> That's great. That was, yeah, you really hit that. Uh, yeah, I just... This movie's so good. Kristen Wiig and Amy Mumolo's uh truly Bravura turns uh this this wonderful friendship that we get to watch unfold this tale of of uh redemption for some and uh for a penance for others i it's so funny man <laughs> i'm i'm trying to make it sound deeper than it is cuz we struggled to make it sound deep when we talked about it for this show it's so much fun it, it doesn't matter it doesn't yeah it's just a hoot man it it really like, like I said, it was the laugh that I desperately needed, and I think it's maybe one of the funniest movies of the last 20 years with uh, uh, a pretty wide margin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think it hits. It's 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 a great studio comedy. They don't get much better than this. So there you go, dear listener. That's our numbers uh, 60 through 41, the next 20 in our top 100 countdown from the three of us. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in. Uh, you can also be part of the conversation, giving us your own lists or commentary on our list, uh, things that we left out, things that we should have said differently i don't know you can do that via those magical means of social media dalton tell them how that's right if you got really want to just send us your whole damn list you can uh email us at goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com if you got a little bit shorter feedback you can find us on twitter at goodtrashmedia and finally if you want to help us keep the lights on it's patreon.com forward slash gtm next week you will have our 40 through 21 picks. We will see you then for the second to last installment of our top 100s. You keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.